But tonight as we dig in here in the chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 14 and down to verse 19. And I want to encourage you that all the way from the beginning, God intended the plan of salvation. It was never out of you. God was not taken aback in that sense by Eve's disobedience and Adam's sin. He is, after all, God, and he knows exactly what's going on in the world 100% of the time. He is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. He could have prevented uh, Adam and Eve from going to the tree, but again, that's the role of free will in the life of a believer. But God always had in mind a plan. We call it the scarlet thread of redemption woven through the tapestry of Scripture. And it begins here in the first messianic prophecy uh, in all of the Bible uh, as we pick up tonight in verse 14 down to verse 19. uh, This seed of the woman, the first mention of this one who would come from something that is physiologically impossible. So it has to be a work of the Spirit. And so would you pray with me and let's ask God to speak through his word. Father, we have again come to study your word and we pray that as we do study, that Lord, you would be blessed with the intent of our heart, that your word would be alive to us, that we would understand it and hear, be instructed and encouraged. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's going to be one of those nights. (laughs) All right. Verse 14. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, so we have here now a little conversation. Uh, There's another conversation that happens in the book of Job. And so before you go, well, you know, has God talked to Satan? Uh, Evidently, that sometimes the Lord does actually speak to uh, Satan himself. Another place that we see this, again, is the book of Job. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so this first picture of the Lord Jesus, I want to go through, there are a number of curses that occur here. And sociologically, physiologically, And in a sense, how our world functions to this day, the Lord set in motion some things here in the book of Genesis that have continued and will continue. We'll pick up the remainder of our passage in a little bit. But there are curses that involve the animal kingdom. There's a curse on the serpent. There's a special curse on the woman. There's a curse on Adam and his descendants. There's going to be a curse on the very elements of the ground itself. 
And, and people often ask, well, why would God do such a thing? And hopefully we'll be able to kind of peel back the onion a little bit tonight on that. And, and since Adam was appointed to exercise dominion over all of the earth, and since Adam was to begin now to die, his dominion would also begin to die. In other words, sin has lasting consequences. God never intended for Adam and Eve to sin, never intended for any of you to sin. It's not his plan that anyone should ever sin. He did not create evil. And so in order that evil does not reign forever, God puts a limit on evil. God puts a limit on the devil himself. God places limitations on the creation itself. The creation cannot be saved from its current course. Some people will say, you know, if we just took better care of the earth, it would last indefinitely. That is not true. And it's not true because it's a bad thing to try and take care of our planet. It's a good thing to take care of our planet. But you cannot save this planet by any measure because God has declared that it has a life expectancy. There's a date stamp on it. It was put there by God, and one day the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. This current earth is going to be dissolved, and he's going to make a new one, a new heaven and a new earth. And so this world was not ever, after the fall, going to last forever. It's a part of the curse, and it's also part of the solution to the curse. And so as we look at this, we must keep it in perspective in that sense. Romans 8 says this in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. The Apostle Paul knew very well that the earth was groaning, the earth was grumbling, the creation itself under the stress of sin, under the stress of death, under what we'll see here tonight, that I believe all of those things that we would call dangerous organisms, uh, those things which are destructive to mankind's uh, physical body, to mankind's mind, all of those things come into play. I, I believe it's here that the Lord sets in place the laws of thermodynamics, including the second one, which is the law of decay, the law of entropy, that all things now continue towards decay. They do not get more ordered. They get more disordered. They don't get better. They get worse, period. It's a law of physics. It's a tangible law. And so in this, we see the curse and we see decay. The first prophecy here, and what we commonly call the curse, really encompasses a number of different things. And they are the same components that make up you as a human being. And if you remember with us back in Genesis chapter 1, we saw several things that God created. He created the physical universe as we know it and everything in it. So he created, in that sense, Adam's body. He creates it from the dust of the earth, also part of his creation. So we see that there is a physical part of this curse. We also see in verse 21 of chapter 1 that there is consciousness or the mind, the ability for someone to think and reason that was given to the creation by God. And we see that that now is also going to be affected by Adam's fall, by Eve's disobedience, that, that the curse itself begins to take its toll on the mind of man. 
Uh, and we're now seeing the rise and the increase even of the destructiveness of the things of this world to the mind. We have more mentally ill people in the world today than ever in the course of human history. We have more people suffering from what the world classifies as mental disease than ever in the course of human history. And that is on the increase. It's not on the decrease. God created man's mind, intended it to be used only for good, and so that man's mind does not become excessively powerful, as when we get to chapter 9, we'll see that because the earth was evil and continually so, God deals with even mankind's communication so that we couldn't continue to, to operate together in massive numbers, and so he creates the ethnos, all the separations of language. We also see the spiritual nature that God created for man. And so the parts that were tested in Jesus himself, when he was tested by the enemy, by Satan in the wilderness, these three things are actually all part of the curse. The physical body, the mind or consciousness, and the spirit. Every bit of it is affected. So the physical elements of the, of the kingdom, the animal kingdom itself, and then mankind itself, all of the entities are now uh, subjected, in essence, to this, this painful decline, this slow, this steady, but inevitable decline. As I've shared with you previously, there are many today that believe that man could actually live indefinitely. And, and while someone may wish to do that, uh, God says that's not going to happen. And so as men try and, and we look at how to extend life, God again has said mankind, because of the fall, is not ever going to live in the state we're currently in indefinitely. And so when he remakes the universe, uh, those that are with him will have bodies suited for that new kingdom, not for this one, but for the new one. And so Adam and Eve... Uh, Take a, take a step here that really puts us in a very difficult place. So these three parts of this curse, the body, the mind, and the spirit, all related to the creation itself. God says there's nothing that's going to be exempted from it. And it really shows us a picture of something. And I want to remind you of this, because sometimes people will think that they can play with sin and be unaffected. They think that they can dabble in something that is destructive and it won't do anything. But I want you to notice that God takes so seriously the effects of what happens in your mind and in your spirit, not just your body. In other words, it's not simply those things which are bad that are done with your hands, physically acted on. It matters what you think and it matters very much what you take in that affects your spirit. And so all three of those parts are affected by this curse that's placed on Adam and all of his descendants afterward. And so we find here that the, the serpent himself, and I believe this is primarily referring to Satan, but it also uh, appears to be pointed at the animal that was absconded with, with Satan inhabiting the snake. Because, you know, people always say, you know, no wonder ladies always hate snakes, you know. It comes from the garden. 
Well, I happen to be married to a woman who doesn't hate snakes. Matter of fact, both of us are kind of fond of them, so it's not universally true, but in a, in a literal sense, when you watch snakes, they crawl in the dust of the earth, amen? That's actually how you can track them. You can find their path through the dust of the earth. And so God made good on that, even in the sense that where they eat, they eat in the dust. Where they sleep, they sleep in the dust. But he goes on now to to use something that's unique. And he says this phrase, the seed of the woman. Notice verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking of the serpent. Between her seed and your seed. Or your seed and her seed. But he says something very unique. Because he says, notice what it says. He, in other words, her seed, shall bruise your head. But you'll only bruise his heel. You should be really happy about this. You should be really happy about this, and here's why. Because Satan is a defeated foe. All he can do is bruise heels. He he will never take down the human race. He's not going to be totally effective at, at destroying this world and everything, and though he is has been pronounced the God of this age, he will not win. He's defeated. He actually had already lost, really, at this point. The battle's still going on. The war is being waged, and we'll see that in a moment. And so to that end, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. And pain in it, you shall bring forth your children. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And I want to be really careful here, but I'm going to say a couple of things. They may shock a couple of you. The origin uh, of a male-centric society in the very wrong way, misogyny, chauvinism, and the oppression of women began right here. Now, having said that, I didn't just say that every one of you ladies needs to become uh, women's liver. But what I am saying is that part of the curse was this abuse of women. And it is very clear in our world that that's going on. And while it is primarily not true, or at least not as true, in our country, in a predominantly Christian society, it is still very true in every non-Christian culture on the face of the earth. If you don't believe that, all you need to do is travel to a predominantly Hindu country or a predominantly Muslim country, or any place where Christian values are not held in esteem, and basically women have no rights. They are the property of their husband. And I believe it is there that this curse is actually very visible. Was not God's intent that that should be so, but he puts in place something that is a penalty, in essence, for that disobedience. And the only way for that Penalty to, penalty to be broken is to be found in Christ. So how does that part of the curse get reversed? It comes from Ephesians chapter 5. And husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and given his life for it. You see, to the believing husband, that gets reversed. It's okay, husband. I want you to love your wife exactly as Jesus has loved the church. What did Jesus do for the church? He died on Calvary's cross. 
Men, that is how we are to treat our, our wives. That's how we respect our wives. That is the extent to which we will go to say to God, we believe that one day you're going to permanently reverse this curse, but I want to begin for my part right now. I want you to also notice that in doing this, God limits Satan's ability. He doesn't allow anything to live forever, including the earth. He doesn't allow sin to reign forever. He's going to have a period of time that he's going to have his way, that's for sure. As 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, he is the God of this world. Satan is the God of this particular world right now. That doesn't mean he has ultimate control. It means in a very persuasive way, he is able to affect an awful lot of hearts and minds, very specifically those who do not know the Lord. And so as people don't know the Lord, they act on those things which are part of the curse. They do exactly what you would expect unredeemed people to do. After all, Eve actually was deceived. She didn't become a willing ally of the enemy. There was a lie told to her. And so God is limiting the power, causing Satan to be viewed by us as a defeated foe. There is going to, he, he immediately announces, Satan, your time is limited. There will be a seed of the woman. There will be a miraculously born, virgin-born child that will come into this world that is going to bruise your head. That's a euphemism for saying he's going he's to crush you, he's going to destroy you. You're going to die because of what he does. And ultimately, that, of course, is the plan. Uh, for the enemy. And to that end, a war is declared. It's a time of conflict. We call it spiritual warfare. Anybody experience any of that? It's going on in our world right now. If you're a believer, you know exactly what's being said here. There's a battle. It's a declared war, by the way. And sometimes we have conflict, and it's undeclared conflict. You have hostile parties, and Maybe they don't actually declare their intentions one to another. Rather like terrorism. There's no, there's no pointed individual. This one is declared. Satan declares war on the seed of the woman. And the woman one day will be the death nail to the serpent and to his minions. And so it's a legitimate battle. Here's the interesting thing. Because Satan is not omniscient, because he is not omnipotent, because he is not omnipresent, though he certainly knows of this prophecy, he has no idea who this seed of this woman is going to be. And I can prove that to you. Because Herod went about trying to kill all of the firstborn male children, did he not? He didn't say, hey, go kill Mary and Joseph's kid. Had Satan known which baby it was going to be, he would have gone after the one child. He would have just simply waited, waited everything out. There he is. I'll kill him. But instead, what does he do? He declares war even on Adam and Eve, and we see that. And we'll get to that very shortly in what happens in the life of Cain and Abel. There's animosity. There's pain. There's suffering. There's sorrow. 
Many of the religions of the ancient world had some notion uh, actually of this serpent battle. In fact, Hercules was seen battling the serpent. Uh, in the constellation of Virgo, there's a spike of wheat in the woman's hands, and it, and it purports to have the seed coming from that. In, in the, the king of animals, Leo is shown clawing the head of a fleeing serpent. The scorpion is illustrated as stinging the heel uh, of the great hero uh, Epicus. And so this is not new news. It's been around for thousands of years. The only difference is we have it more clearly defined now. We know exactly what the Lord meant. And in fact, the term seed here is a word that you all will get very quickly what was being said. It's actually the Greek word sperma, from which we get sperm. And so it's very clear that this is talking about the seed of Satan. In other words, that which he would bring into being. And while that's a euphemism, it isn't a direct inference that Satan is, you know, breeding children everywhere. It's saying those that are born of him. And here's the tragedy. If you're not born again, you are born of the enemy. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You're either a saint or an ain't. You're either saved or you're not. So in that sense, both the demons themselves who are direct agents of the enemy and those who do not know the Lord thereby become the seed of the serpent. That's why Jesus said, you are either for me or you are against me. That's a declared war. You're either on the Lord's side or you by default are on the other side. The seed of the serpent. Or you can be the seed of the woman. And of course, this is referring to exactly what Isaiah chapter 7 says. This one that would be Ha'alma. The one who would be before born to a woman. In other words, pre-born in essence. It's a picture of something that God knew, that God would do, and he does it. And so this one who would come into the world, and we know who he is. The seed of the woman ultimately is going to be Jesus, amen? Born of the woman by her seed. And in this case, the woman does not have the seed, the man does. So if you have a miraculous birth, then the woman is able to provide both parts. Both the genetic heritage as a human being, and at the same time, no sin because it's not related to Adam. That's why Jesus could be both God and man. Absolutely perfect and without sin because he was not related to Adam. He was simply born through Eve, miraculously, by the Holy Spirit. This long forecast conflict that goes on between children of the kingdom and children of the wicked one, as we will see, begins with Cain and Abel. Continues all the way, by the way, to the end of the age. And you see it unfold during the tribulation. And by the time you get to Revelation, the middle chapters of the book of Revelation, you see a literal war unfold. That time is still ahead of us. The primary seed of the serpent, uh, ultimately, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, is this one that we call the Antichrist, the son of perdition. The very seed, the, the, the absolute 
uh, incarnation, if you will, of evil himself and the Antichrist. You see, Satan's not done yet. That person has not come on the face of the earth, no matter how evil Pol Pot was or Hitler was or Stalin was, no matter how ruthless Kim Jong-il is. Those guys will pale in comparison to the one who will be the most extreme example of the seed of the serpent because he is still yet to be revealed, called the Antichrist. And of course, the, the seed of the woman, we know who he is, clearly defined, clearly seen by us. Uh, there in Isaiah seven fourteen, and therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. What does John tell us about him? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Emmanuel, God with us. It's the very thing that the prophet Isaiah promised. That's what was said nearly 700 years before Jesus came. And people look at the seed of the woman and the biologic connotation is quite clear. Satan is spirit, so he doesn't have seed either. So all of this is going to happen in a very specific realm ultimately, and that is the realm of the supernatural. This is the opening volleys of spiritual warfare. This is a time when all of a sudden things that were once just Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with the Lord in the garden, close fellowship, intimacy and relationship, broken by a battle in their spirit, a battle in their mind, and ultimately a battle in their flesh. And now we see that's where that battle is fought because you have temptations that come to your mind. Your mind must process that temptation and if taken to heart and acted on by your spirit and done with your hands, you see all three areas of this exact curse played out in your life. There's a temptation to think wrongly. Anybody in here think wrongly ever? I did. I did today. I was driving down the Harbor Freeway and I get down to PCH and there, the exact same place where we always have the accidents. I'm thinking, what knucklehead traffic planner put in that wall there where you can't see the cars coming around the curb? I wasn't thinking, Lord, could you get those guys out of that car? I hope they're okay. I'm cursing traffic planners in my mind. If you're a traffic planner, I'm sorry. We think the wrong way, don't we? And what happens when you think the wrong way? Sometimes you act the wrong way, don't we? And then when you act the wrong way, what happens to your relationship between you and God? Your spirit is affected. Your vertical relationship is broken. God's saying, Jeff, you you need to get this right with me. You need to be cleansed of thinking the wrong way. And until that happens, we have a little bit of break in our fellowship. So exactly what this curse did then, it's still doing today. Those three component parts. Because of what God said would happen. So this seed of the woman, Jesus, 
It's so amazing to think on the history of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine, out of all of the people that had ever been born, both before the flood and after the flood, how Satan and his minions were running around the globe trying to keep track of anyone who might possibly fit this criteria? Have you ever wondered why there's so much conflict in the world? Because the enemy has to work blindly relative to the plans of God. He does not have the same information. So what does he do? He universally afflicts everyone. He tries to get you to do his work. He affects your mind. He affects your spirit, hoping to affect your actions. And he does so for every single human being on the earth. Because he does not know all that God is doing. But he does know that his time is short. And he does know that one day it's not going to work out so well for him. And so he makes war on the remnant of her seed. And guess who that puts in, the harm, in harm's way? That would be anyone who loves the Lord Jesus. Amen? If you're part of the, the body of Christ, then you're on the part of this battle that has declared war against the enemy. That's why when you decide to do good, that's the moment you say you're going to serve the Lord, the moment you give your life to the, to the Lord, the, the moment you attempt to do anything for the kingdom, you can count on there being a battle that's going to rage in your heart and in your mind and in your body. That's the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. We see this played out in Revelation chapter 12, and it's an interesting picture there because you have this man-child that's in that chapter. And you have a dragon who's called the serpent of old. And they're still battling. By the time the tribulation happens, you're going to see, in essence, this, this battle finalized. And it's going to become hellish. But for us, we need to remember, Satan is not, he's not omni-anything. He's not going to win. You know, sometimes these things can be depressing until you look at what the Lord's actually doing here. He's telling us there's going to be a problem. He's also telling us there's a solution to the problem. He's telling us that we have a sin issue, but he's giving us a solution, which is God's grace. Amen? Praise the Lord for the other side of the equation. There's God's grace that is greater than all of our sin. That the Lord is greater than the enemy. Sometimes people say, well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like Satan and God and they're kind of, they're kind of equal but opposite. They are not equal. They are opposite, but they are in no way, shape, or form equals. It only seems like that because when you're being afflicted, you're, you're in harm's way. It seems like the enemy has an overwhelming hand, but greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. Amen? Remember that one. You're on the right side in Christ Jesus. Both Adam and Eve are now going to be constantly harassed, constantly hounded. But it also goes against us. This battle is is against you and me. And so for millennia, Satan has continued his relentless attacks on anyone 
who names the name of Jesus. But very specifically, until Jesus was born, all of the male children. That's why you constantly see these battles that went on to where all of the male children were the ones that were destroyed. Take out Jesus' lineage, then maybe Messiah won't come. That's a picture of the limited knowledge that Satan actually has. Because God cannot be thwarted. Amen? What he purposes to do, he will do. He is sovereign. And so he basically tells us that. Though we're going to have some problems, we're, we're still not going to lose. There's a curse that's pronounced here, and, and again, I think it, it is important for us to keep it in the context in which I believe it is intended. And, and while we can understand this to some degree, I don't think we can understand the fullness of it as it, as it really pertains to being a woman versus being a man. Let's face it, it's not easy being either. But let's look at the rest of this passage. And then to Adam he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, he, he's basically saying, look, it, it's going to not go so well for you. To the woman, he says, look, I'm going to greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. And in pain, you're going to bring forth children. So here, here's this, this part on the woman. And he says to Adam, look, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Here it comes, guys. You ever wondered why you're going to work until you croak? It's right here. <laughs> Cursed be the ground for your sake. And in toil you shall eat of it. And all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, shall bring forth, it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field and of the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you shall return. Don't get too bummed. But there's an answer to that, too. His name is Jesus. But there's a curse pronounced here, and basically it's the curse. Look, it's not going to be easy. You're going to scratch out an existence. And most people will tell you, no matter where they are on the economic scale of things on this earth, life is still a grind. And I don't care whether you are a billionaire. When I was in business, I did a whole bunch of work for a bunch of billionaires with a B. And those billionaires were absolutely as miserable as the poorest person you've ever met. Just miserable for a different reason. They worked a different kind of work, though someone's working with the sweat of their brow and barely making it, and maybe they're living in a, an absolute hovel someplace. That billionaire may be living on a private island, but he is still working by the sweat of his brow, scratching out an existence. It's just he has more stuff to take care of. That's it. It's part of the curse. It's not going to be easy. So when people say, you know, well, I'm just looking forward to doing this. I'm going to take like 30 years. I'm just going to kind of wander the globe and live this idyllic life. You know what invariably ends up happening? That person who retires and all of a sudden now they've got health problems. Or maybe their investments crash. Or something happens in their relationship. And all of a sudden every dream they had because there is no hope in this life save Jesus. There's no hope but him. 
There's no hope. There isn't any. So if you've got Jesus, you have hope. He subjected this earth in hope for those that have the hope of heaven. But to those without it, then what you got is working really hard for a very long period of time only to find that when you reach your deathbed, it did not satisfy you and was very hard to come by. So here's a little short tip for you. Trust Jesus. Because that's the road that leads to satisfaction and fulfillment. Because I, have, I just was with some very, very, very impoverished people. I met this young man. His name's Robinson. He actually carves little pieces of this slate that's found near some of the Mayan ruins in Belize. And he he does the most amazing work. His whole toolkit is about $10 worth of screwdrivers that you and I would get on sale probably for five bucks at Home Depot. And he's taken, sharpened them with other rocks. And he makes these incredible, intricate, you know, I've got a turtle, and I think I've got a jaguar with the Mayan calendar thing on it. And he does all this stuff. He, he lives in a tarp. But he loves Jesus. He's got the biggest smile. You're like, are you kidding me? The dude lives in a tarp. And he's selling little pieces of rock. He asked this, the price of these things. I said, well, I can't give you that. And he kind of, you know, did one of these. I said, how about I double that for you? He got this big old smile. I said, why would you do that? Because I love Jesus too. I don't say that. That's not for me. That's just to say that's the way it's supposed to work. When you love the Lord, something should happen in your heart and your mind because this world is tough. And when you see people struggling, you can't see your brother who has need and harden your heart against him. You've got to do something about it when it's within your means. That's why God wants us to be industrious so that we have something to give to those who have need. That's part of us busting this curse up a little bit while we're still here. I don't know about you, but I like tweaking Satan's nose. Some of that. A man, you talk about the pains of being a woman. Now, I don't know how many of you men in here are fathers, but, you know, there, there's, a few things, there's a few things you don't want to say to your wife when you're in the hospital and, and they're giving birth. I'll just tough it out. It's not that bad. Come on, man. People have been having babies forever. Those doctors who do pain management and talk about pain, it is one of the most painful things that a human can actually endure is to give birth to children. The crazy thing is what happens afterwards the joy that comes from bringing that child into the world because that's part of us kind of being a little bit like Jesus. We got a part in bringing some new life into this world. And so you can kind of see how God has on one side says, look, this is going to be tough. You messed up. But oh, by the way, there's joy that comes in the morning. That's the way our lives are. It's kind of a balance between struggle 
and the glory of the things that God's doing in our lives. And so don't let it get to you. We who love the Lord, we need to cherish our wives and love our wives and bless our lives. We, we need to make sure that we've done everything we can right now to reverse this curse. And the proper roles of husband and wife are very clear. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. It, it's clear, guys. And it's also clear that you ladies have the opportunity to help bless us guys. We're struggling. We, we don't know what to do all the time either. And sometimes it feels like a grind. Uh, and we don't need to be told, well, if you just made more money, I'd be happy. There's not enough money in the universe to make you happy. I don't care how much of it you have. You'll always want more. And even if you got the amount you asked for, you'd still want more than that. So just give up. Apostle Paul had it nailed. Be content with what you have. Abased or abound, just be content. Work hard, do what God tells you to do. We're all in it together, amen? And so there's several things here at the end. And basically you kind of see dirt and death and decay. And then you see God taking care of all of it. You you see when, when God says cursed is the ground, He's actually using the same word. It's a Hebrew word originally, Eretz. It it literally means the earth. In other words, the whole earth is actually part of the problem. You know, we here in Southern California, we want rain. I just came back from Belize and the river that we were supposed to cross. This This is crazy. We think traffic's bad here in L.A. Traffic down there consists of a dirt road that's not quite two lanes wide. And the week before we got there, they got 27 inches of rain. The town that we're going to go to is only about six miles from where we're staying. And it took about an hour and 40 minutes to go six miles. Through farm fields, the river was 11 feet over flood stage, over the top of the bridge deck. You you see... Things just don't work out like we want them to work out. You get on the freeway. Anybody had this experience? Connie will tell you this. Do not travel with me unless you want to be stuck in traffic. Because God knows I need more patience. So the moment I get on the freeway, it comes to a screeching halt. It could be perfectly clear. And if I get there, it will stop. This world, that's the way it works. You're not going to get all the things that you want. The earth itself is part of this curse. Adam was supposed to take care of it, and instead it starts taking care of him. It works on him. And we see the struggle that, that eventually leads to death here. Death and dying. God, God didn't create it, but, but in essence what he does now is he says, If you want it your way, I'm going to pull my power, the fullness of it, away from you, and you're going to suffer the consequences of that. Jeff, my brother, and I, we're we're talking. It's like, man, as your body gets old, and and please don't take this in a morbid way, you kind of look forward to actually dying. (laughs) Because right now it feels like you're already dead. 
You know, it's like your knees don't work and your fingers hurt and all that stuff that you did when you were younger. You know what I mean? Every single, you know, you used to think, oh, this is great. I'll just jump up here and stuff this and, you know, do all these things. And, and then as you get older, you're like, why did I do that? Because you're on a slow road to death. You're slowly dying. And no amount of you taking whatever the new thing is. You know, I, I got to admit, I have watched some crazy things be the elixir of life. You remember a few years ago there was healthy chocolate? It's like, yeah, sure, that's, that's healthy. You know, and goji berries and ossei juice and, you know, every week it's something new. Just suck on this and eat that and have this and cut out that and do this and don't do that. And only eat fish and, you know, just every, and you'll live forever. Not going to happen. You're going to croak, going to be dead as a doornail someday. (laughs) It's part of the curse. You are not going to live forever. Now, am I telling you to go, you know, wrap your Cheetos in bacon? No. But God's given us all things richly to enjoy, so some bacon-wrapped Cheetos might not be bad once in a while. No, you're going to die. And actually, you should be praising God for it, because the moment you step out of time and into eternity, you're in His presence. So it's not actually a bad thing. Amen? You see, people fear death who don't know the Lord. That's why death is so frightening. You know, those of us who are here on staff as pastors, when we do memorial services, the first thing that happens when I find out that it is an unbeliever or an unbeliever's family and I'm going to have to do a memorial service, I start praying. It's like, Lord, Give me something to say to someone who has no hope. Because they have no hope. They're like, my son's gone, my daughter's gone, my husband's gone, my wife's gone, my grandmother's gone, my grandfather's gone, my wa- somebody's gone. And to them, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And then you go to a memorial service where you're, you're really giving a celebration of life to someone who knew the Lord Jesus and you know exactly where they're at and you know they're in heaven in the fullness of joy, glorying with the Lord and you're explaining to them the joy and the glory of it. Though they have the longing and the missing, they're going to be reunited with that loved one. You see, death to us is a whole different gig. And while none of us should prematurely exit the earth because it does hurt, it is painful, there is a sense of loss, that loss, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We sorrow in hope. You know what? I know I am going to be reunited. I know wherein my help comes from. And my help comes from the Lord. And so this struggle that we have is but for a moment, and then heaven awaits, amen? And so in that sense, God didn't actually create death. He simply withdrew the power for man to live indefinitely and said, if if that's what you want, 
then I don't want you to suffer forever. You ever thought about that? That the reason we eventually expire is because God loves us? That's actually the truth. I believe that the Lord allows these temples to wear out because he does not want us to stay in this messy world indefinitely. I sometimes joke with people, you know, be careful if you get really old because that means God doesn't like you. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Longevity is a blessing from the Lord, but you want to live in a way that is a blessing. And so we see this second thing, death. And then the last thing, and I'll, I'll wrap this up, we see this process of decay that, that in essence there, there was a, everything was going to run down and like Adam, go right back to the dust. You know, when you're down in the jungles of, of Belize, it is astonishing how quickly the jungle takes back over anything that's left untended for like a week. So I'm driving down these roads and I'm looking and there's a guy's car and they'll kind of weed whack around it or chop it with a machete and they leave it there. And literally, the, the guy that was driving me around, his name was David, and he lives in this town of Santa Elena. And as, as I'm talking to him, he says, yeah. He said, if you leave your car out for about four months, you won't be able to find it. Because the weeds grow over it and then the rust, you know, starts to happen. It won't dissolve or anything, but It disappears. Everything on this earth, in essence, is like that. For those of you that own homes, do they last forever? No, they do not. Nobody ever tells you when you buy a house, well, you actually still have to still paint it and replace the windows and the doors and the kitchen floors. And, it, you know, and you're like, you're pouring your heart and your effort and your time into it. What does your house do? It decays, right? What does your body do? It decays. What do the heavens and the earth do? They're decaying too. The entire universe is actually spinning down to a grand conclusion. Everything from bacteria to protozoans, so microorganisms to atomic structure, molecules, all kinds of things that exist in the universe, everything. The second law of thermodynamics says tends towards decay. It does not get better, it gets worse. It eventually will break down and turn into its least complex component parts. You leave anything metal around, especially here in the South Bay, what does it do? It rusts. If it rusts long enough, what does it do? It all turns into iron oxide. Instead of being steel, it's now iron oxide. It's that red stuff we call rust. It decays. It spins off one electron at a time, and eventually it all turns into a completely different molecular structure, and you will have just a pile of rust laying in your yard. Happens with the whole universe. And without it, I believe God was basically putting a time stamp on everything. He said, I don't want this decay to last forever. I don't want this death to last forever. And so I'm going to just seal it all up. The dirt itself is where you came from. You're going to go back to it. And when I get done with that, I'll make a new one. The good news is your spirit, if you love the Lord, is going to be with Jesus. And in that sense, what Adam messed up, Jesus can fix up. You know, some people say, well, and I I get this. People say it, and I actually understand the question. It's a good question, by the way. Well, how come God didn't just stop him? 
And I'll usually just talk about free will and all those kind of things. You've got to validate love. But at the end of the day, even though God didn't stop Eve from being deceived and didn't stop Adam from actively sinning, God did fix the problem. His name is Jesus. Because to as many as believe in him, to them he gave the ability to become the sons, the daughters, the children of God. And because you are one of God's kids, your eternal destination is taken care of. You're going to go home to heaven, and then one day you're going to come back with Jesus, and you're going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth, and then you're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. So in essence, you're going to start right where Adam and Eve got to start with a new heaven and a new earth. So in that sense, God is perfectly fair, isn't he? He's completely just. You won't be deprived of anything. Whatever Adam and Eve had, one day you're going to get a chance to have at least that, if not better. And so God takes care of these things because he is perfect in all of his ways. Jesus, uh, the son of man, the second Adam, was made the curse for us. Amen? I praise the Lord for that deliverance. Because I, as I wind down, as this world winds down, as the world gets worse and worse, uh, you know, I was reading a news article this afternoon. Man, they're, they're, they're running blackout drills in North Korea and, you know, hiding missile sites and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. At the end of the day, if God don't got it, God don't got it. Amen. So if we're, if we're waiting for the U.S. military, as much as I love our military, our military is not going to stop what God's going to eventually allow to happen. And that is this world is going to wind down. So go with it. Trust the Lord in all these things. And the curse on man was, was fourfold in that sense. We're going to have sorrow, pain, suffering. We're going to have sweat, tears, and physical death. You want to hear the good news? Jesus defeated all those things. Isaiah 53 says he was the man of sorrows. Says he was bruised for our iniquities. The gospels say the, the crown of thorns, the thorns that we struggle with, Jesus wore on his head as a crown. Think about that one for a second. The thorns that Adam and Eve were cursed with, Jesus wore as a crown. He said, you want to see how much those thorns aren't going to eventually affect them? I'll wear them as a crown. That sweat, he sweat blood in the garden on our behalf. So all the, all the sweat that they do, I'll take care of that. I'll shed my own blood so they don't have to sweat anymore. So the second Adam, Jesus took care of all those things. And while in this life you're going to have tribulation, Jesus said himself, do not worry because I have overcome this world. And then he went on to say, look, I'm going to prepare a mansion because that's where I want to be with you. So don't fear. Don't worry about it. Each day that passes, we get a little closer to heaven. Amen? And though the whole creation is travailing and groaning in sorrow, just as Acts 14 says, nevertheless, he has not left himself without a witness, and in that he did good, and he gave us rain and fruitful seasons, and he filled our hearts with food and gladness. In this life, though we have tribulation, we know that he's got it under control. Amen? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the pastors to come up. If you need prayer, they're going to be available for you.
I want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity today, to go to the Lord's table. Uh, Anthony, the worship team, is going to come back up. And I'll, I'll lead you in a little time of communion as well. Father, we thank you for your powerful word. Lord, truly sharp, able to divide between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. We thank you that you, Jesus, have reversed this curse already. Lord, we indeed trust our eternity to you. And though these earthly tents are perishing, the inward man, as Paul said, is being renewed day by day in Christ Jesus. That in fact, all of that curse uh, really is no longer our destiny because he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And so we thank you, Lord, for that freedom we have in Christ and pray that you'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.